Need to study on the go? Stay engaged and on track with the Osmosis mobile app. Access thousands of concise, visually engaging videos, questions, high-yield notes, decision-making trees, and more, anytime, anywhere, online or offline. Download it today on the App Store or Play Store. Visit osms.it rtl mobile to learn more. Hi, I'm Shibivani, welcoming you to the Raised Line with Osmosis from Elsevier, an ongoing exploration about how to improve health and healthcare. Today's guest fits into one of my favorite categories of people, physician entrepreneur. We've talked before on the podcast about the overlapping qualities of drive, curiosity, and desire for impact that both share, and that last trait is a core interest of my guest, Dr. Naveen Goyal, who co-founded and manages Loud Capital, a purpose-driven investment firm that has raised and partnered in six funds with over 70 portfolio companies, some of which have been started within the organization. He's also the co-founder of Offer Health, a mobile healthcare company that provides care for children who face long waits at traditional medical systems. Dr. Gogol started his professional life as an anesthesiologist, so I'm curious to learn about his journey into venture capital, which he describes in his book, Physician Underdog. So, Dr. Gogol, thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you for having me, Shiv. Appreciate it. For sure. And so I'd like to start by first asking you, in your own words, to describe what got you interested in a career in medicine and then ultimately anesthesiology. Yeah. I mean, I think growing up, you know, we don't really know what we want to be or we have this image of becoming something. And being an Indian American, physicians are top of mind when it comes to, you know, ambition and trying for something. So I think I fit in that category where I was like, hey, a doctor seems really cool. They help a lot of people. They seem very important and contribute to society. And it seems really challenging because that's all my parents are talking about. So I studied hard and through a lot of help and a lot of studying, a lot of encouragement and support, uh, I got into medical school. And I, I tell a lot of kids this, that it's really stressful to try to figure out something that you have no idea what the career is like. And so fortunately, I did enjoy it and like it. And it was challenging as heck as many people will say. And eventually I got exposed to anesthesiology early in my medical school rotations. And I really liked physiology and pharmacology. So how the body functions and the various chemicals and pharmacokinetics and drugs that are out there that affect the function of our body. And when I described that to a few folks about these subjects really interesting me, they suggested anesthesiology. And just like many of our first impressions where if you really connect with a teacher or connect with a role model in that industry, it presents a positive light. And so for anesthesiology, my mentor who took me around for two weeks and taught me really reminded me of how much I don't know, also reminded me of how much you can know as an anesthesiologist. And the fact that there were a lot of procedures to be done, but Behind those procedures, there was so much thought of this can happen, that can happen. So I just got a really positive impression of the field that you do a lot, you think a lot. And also there was a balance that this you know teacher had of uh, a personal life as well. So those are kind of the things that were going through my head. And so I was fortunate enough to match into anesthesiology and became an anesthesiologist. 
Yeah, that's that's awesome. And I, a theme that continues to come up on the Raise Line podcast is the importance of maybe that serendipitous encounter with a mentor who happened to be, you know, helpful and interesting and they they had their stuff together in a way that made you want to maybe pursue that specialty too. Cause I'm sure if you meet certain mentors, you know, maybe they're having a bad month or three months or whatever it may be during a rotation and they aren't the best mentor, you know, it can turn you off of a specialty. Do you want to comment at all more about mentorship? Because that's also something we're going to ask you about advice for students, but, you know, how did you cultivate this relationship with your mentor and have you kept in touch with them since then? Yeah. So I, I have not kept in touch, unfortunately, but when I did match in the anesthesiology, I wrote him a, a letter and a note saying, thank you so much. You influenced me to go into this. I'm very happy and very proud, and and you have a big part in that. What I feel about mentorship is, again, I think it's so powerful. And so I tell a lot of, well, I tell myself all the time, and I tell a lot of other peers and colleagues that it's so important to mentor others. Number one, I think it reminds us of how much we have learned along this journey, because I think a lot of us are in this routine where we just think, hey, are we really learning much? Are we doing much? But to a young high schooler or college or, or whoever you are in your journey, you can, you you know, you are that person you wanted to be. And so I think it's good for us as a reminder to ourselves as let's call it responsible adults. But I also think these are the gifts we can give many people and influence many people. And so if we can, if we can lean towards what really lights us up, as an individual, whether it's at work, personal or anything, and pass that on to someone. I mean, I think that's education, you know, that that's the that's the real stuff that we don't really talk about. We don't talk about I didn't tell you anything about it really learning in the classroom, did I? I, I talked talk, talk to you about the people and my impression and and how influential that was. That to me is the real experience and education that is so influential to minds. So I absolutely believe in mentorship. I try to do it. I try to give little tidbits to kids and uh, adults and, and, and folks like that. And I learn a lot as well. Yeah, I'll just double click on what you said there and, and make sure our audience hears this message, which is, I do think that the role of higher education institutions, whether it's a med school or business school or residency, is that connection is that you know connecting with other people because the content itself is fairly commoditized you know we put yes. hundreds of videos from osmosis free on youtube and so the, the content you can learn and now with ai we'll talk about ai for sure don't worry about that there's so much more commoditization of this content so ultimately it'll come down to the people you meet and you know build relationships with so so let's get into your career transition into also going into entrepreneurship and and investing you know, was that an, always an interest of yours? Like, were you a med student who created things or clubs or whatever? Or how did you get into into entrepreneurship in BC? Yeah, yeah. So first of all, no, I was not that creative kid or curious kid. I was literally heads down thinking about, I'm going to be a doctor and what do I need to do for that? So I had tunnel vision. And, and I tell folks, one of my regrets is I didn't ask enough questions about what other things were happening. I didn't ask people when they were in a different job what they did. So I wasn't that curious kid. I never built a business. I, didn't, I wasn't that cool person who sold stuff in high school and always made money. None of that. And so when I was in, you know, practicing in anesthesiology, I'm in Columbus, Ohio right now. I joined a practice after a couple of years of your learning curve, crazy. It's just stressful being on your own. You're still learning how to do things. You're learning uh, a bunch of new names and people you're working with. After that learning curve went a little more flat. 
I started reading books because I had time now. I'm not studying for any boards. I'm not studying for anything for the next stage, which which is interesting because I think my my mind was molded to continuously learn and learn. And then I was like, hey, I don't feel this crazy stress as much. I don't feel like I need to learn much more because I've learned so much of the field and I'm practicing it every day. So I started reading. I started getting curious and then had an opportunity to start a, a company with two other very close friends who are anesthesiologists that ended up being all for health. And the thing is, that was a, it's a mobile anesthesia company. So it's enabling procedures in offices. So the bread and butter of anesthesiology, we knew. Everything else around it, the business, the, the you know, everything, operation, structure, marketing, you name it, we knew nothing. And so now it's like, hey, we got this thing to try to learn. And so slowly, I really appreciated entrepreneurship because it was really hard. It was challenging, but it was our own. And then it really, I think, enabled me to to explore more, to, to read more about entrepreneurship. I was reading the Wall Street Journal every day anyways, and I started really paying attention to what entrepreneurs were doing and what they could do and impact. And I started becoming empowered as an individual that you don't need to know everything, but if you start something, you can complement yourself with other people and other skills and other sources of knowledge. And that's where I feel like my second career started brewing up, even though I didn't know that was happening at the time. Yeah, absolutely. That's a common theme we get on the podcast too. We've had friends of mine like Justin Barad, who started also VR. He's a big surgeon. You may know him. And David Keynes, urologist, who's started well-prepped patient education platform. So finding, you know, when they were on the podcast, they described like finding new life, new passion for their work, professional lives, yeah. as well as for medicine. Because I think, I know if I don't put words in your mouth, but I feel like Offer Health was probably born out of a problem that you you experienced the frustration that you know if if you're experiencing that you there's two paths you either just kind of deal with it the three three paths really you just deal with it and like same old same old you just continue getting frustrated you quit you stop exposing yourself to that frustration so you burn out you're out of medicine or you work to change it and then if you get some traction while you're changing it like you have it offer then it can be very gratifying and, you know, it doesn't feel like work. Does any of that resonate or are there other things you want to share about that experience? It does. And it's, it's not one of those sexy categories, to be honest. It's, it's not the, I woke up and said, I wanted to take care of kids who have long waits and I want to solve that problem. Cause I didn't even know that problem existed. The truth is it was more of a cosmetic dentist who came up to us and said, could you do anesthesia for these high pain patients? Okay, that's how it started. Now, I'm proud to say that because number one, that's the truth. That's what got us interested. Then as we started exploring, one of my co-founders is a peds anesthesiologist. He said, you know, we can start here, but I can tell you there's a lot of kids who come into our dental surgery centers and they have long waits. We can't even, we don't have enough staff or rooms to even support them. So I think there's a big thing here. And so that started getting incorporated into our minds. And as we get excited and investing time and some capital and resources into it, we did feel that was coming. And lo and behold, a year into it, had an insurance company reach out. Two years later, have an insurance pilot. And now we have over 18 insurance companies we work with in five states. And our, and our value proposition is if you are a I'm going to give an example, a four-year-old kid who has dental disease and you're on Medicaid, you have on an average nine to 12 month wait to get into an operating room in this country, in the U.S. If you're in the city of Chicago, which we also service, 
you're waiting 22 to 24 months. So what we do is we go into a office and we enable that procedure within one month. The insurance companies save money because they're not paying kind of for the high cost centers of an operating room. And then we're taking care of them. And we found a for-profit model that supports the, the, the impact of kids. And that, that kind of goes into where my head started going into, which is creating a business model that is socially impactful, taking care of a real problem, but it's for profit. Like there's money to be made. There's investors to get excited. There's stakeholders that can get excited. And that's what has shaped my lens of entrepreneurship, which is to build and invest in businesses that make me, you know, help me sleep well at night, which is really taking this experience from a physician perspective and all the great people that I work with, all this high intellect, high ambition, high experience, and a lot of, let's say, capital that's sitting there on the side and problem solving for stuff that we care about. I mean, you know, I'm a father, I have two girls and, and you know, I think we evolve as we get older on, on our on legacy and what we really want to do in the world find that purpose and that's the purpose that i've found is to to drive impact for for people in inside my home and and the people that i touch or or don't even know about yet because i see a lot of capital and experience and time spent on businesses or things to just steal market share or or just get your attention and monetize that hey i respect people who build successful businesses but that's that just doesn't drive me and it doesn't drive the people that i work with yeah, no, absolutely. The passion is evident in your voice. So we'll definitely click on Loud Capital next. But on Offer Health, thanks for sharing the origin story. I think that's important for people to hear because a lot of people they have this glamorized view of entrepreneurship that someone had that epiphany moment and their vision was, you know, what the vision is of like large companies like Airbnb and Uber now. But the vision is really just, you know, oftentimes much smaller, much more personal problem. And then as the company seeks product market fit, and as the market itself changes, you shape a new vision. Like in our experience with osmosis, we were just trying to build a product for my classmates and myself at Hopkins Med, you know, make med school more efficient, more active learning. And it was only over, over a couple of years of working on it and getting more and more traction that then the Khan Academy medicine team joined us. And then we started building these videos that replaced a lot of... So, so what people, and then we went from Hopkins Med students, which is a very specific audience to now a global audience of nursing, PA, pharmacy, dentistry, and now even patients. So the vision changes over time as it seems to have with offer. And one other thing on that is I didn't make the Chicago dental practice connection, but two other guests we had in a raised line podcast were, you know, my sister, Dr. Anishka Gaglani and her husband, Dr. Abhishek Nagaraj, who have six dental practices in Chicago and Indiana, and they could be a really good connection, which I'll make sure to make after this podcast as well to see if that could be a good a good collaboration at some point. Oh, that's great. No, yeah. Always making connections, even on a show. Of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about loud, loud Capital. So you do a lot of these investments. I mentioned the in the uh, uh, introduction, you've partnered with six funds, over 70 portfolio companies. Tell us about the origin story of Loud, what sets you apart, and then maybe some of the investments you want to share with our audience that get you most excited right now. Yeah. So when, you know, as this entrepreneurial journey is building and Offer Health is is growing, I started, actually, I should say I continued to invest personally in, in some companies. And so I uh, was an angel investor a few years into me working my real job as an anesthesiologist. And so I got exposed to various entrepreneurs, which were very inspiring to me. 
you know, for, for people to leave a, a place of comfort and pursue a, a passion or a higher purpose and to, to really go all the way and put everything into it, that's inspiring to me. And it was very foreign to me because, you know, if you think about the physician journey, which is challenging in itself, it's, it's kind of quite the opposite, which it's if you can get into this structured model, you are kind of mitigating risks and, and you know, being a thought leader and an expert in a certain field. As an entrepreneur, number one, you're never an expert. You're always <laughs> humbled, I think. Well, although the physician world, you're humbled many times as well. But it's just, it's the Wild West. And so I started investing. We co-founded this company. And so suddenly people were asking me at, at work and beyond, hey, Naveen, number one, all you're doing is talking about this other stuff. You're not talking about work anymore. You're, you light up. You're very excited about it. Let me know if, if I can invest in the space or if there's any deals you're seeing. And I said, absolutely. Here's a couple of deals I invested in. I can introduce you to this person, blah, blah. And I started doing that. And eventually people were like, no, actually, you know, that's, I'm not really that interested in it. Or can, can I just park some capital with you and you figure it out? And I never thought about that because initially I was just, here you go. You know, and, and that's when we started an angel fund. This was in 2015. And this was my co-founder of Loud Capital is a serial entrepreneur. And me and him are, are just collectively a, a great team. And so we started an angel fund and that angel fund became a few more funds. And a few years later, there was some emerging fund managers who said, we love what you're doing. We see that you have a brand and a philosophy that's more of a firm, not just a fund. And so could we do this with you? And so that kind of explains why we have multiple funds. But in the end, our thesis is kind of, you know, continuing of what I said on a, a social impact, like a true purpose in the company. And I think the word purpose gets thrown around a lot. So purpose is maybe too broad. A purpose that does end up with a kind of social impactful outcome. And so if that's the main focus that at least checks a box that, hey, we're, we're going to look into this because we care. And it's all about caring and being motivated. If you have a team that sees this amazing company that you can predict and says it's going to be 10x in one year, 10 times your money in one year, that's great. That's exciting. Okay. That's cool. And venture. Yeah, sure. But if there's really not a purpose behind that, I can tell you, I don't get that excited. There's a lot of deals that come on the table. I don't get that excited. And I don't think my team members will. So we wouldn't probably go into that because we don't feel energized and supportive of that because we are very personal people. Like we like to know the founders and the team members and we're very entrepreneurial. And I think that's, that's also a commonly used word, but I will tell you in the venture capital industry and in the venture space, there's a lot of, there's a broad array of people, but a lot of folks with financial backgrounds, some of who of which have not started a company or been part of a growth company. And so I feel like there's a, a bit of a lack of experience and a lack of empathy when investments occur. And so here's an investment. I can be helpful in this bucket, but not necessarily in these buckets. And I'm not sure why there's so much attention being paid attention going towards this when we're trying to trying to grow this company. Well, guess what? The company incorporates so many things, right? From from a lot of these soft skills of culture and, and people development, leadership development, things, you know, talent retention. I just think there's just so many things that are not discussed in the venture world. And so we try to incorporate a more comprehensive model where you invest because we're interested in so many things. And then post-investment is the opportunity to be able to help 
refer or network. So I know that was a lot, but I just, obviously you can tell, I think about this a lot. No, it's awesome. And a really cool backstory of how you got started. And certainly we've had a lot of physicians, you know, even in our story, there was a group of investors that we're really close with, Fund RX, Zishan Mohammadi and Gurdan Botani, who now are MBX Capital, but they had a basically a syndicate of a lot of physicians who would invest in companies. Yeah. And we had several we had an orthopedic surgeon veronica diaz we had a dermatologist we had neurosurgeon jordan grable all invest in osmosis early on and help shape the product too which was a kind of a cool cool thing so so loud capital has been through several funds you've made a ton of investments as mentioned over 70 i'd love to hear right now what gets you excited like what's a recent investment that gets you excited that you maybe want to plug with our audience or what types of you know we also have a lot of people who listen to this podcast who are med students turn entrepreneurs or their physicians who are interested in this space, you know, if they were to pitch you, you know, what, what are you looking for? Yeah. So, I mean, so we are industry agnostic. We, we have a very heavy healthcare focus, but we have invested in multiple things. One of them is a, a hydrogen technology called Hyperion Motors. And so in a, in a quick story there, the entrepreneur came up to us several years ago and said, I have a design of various technologies that I'm going to integrate and I'm going to build a car that goes a thousand miles on one charge. And after we laughed for like 10 minutes, we listened for a while. We ended up actually a few of us, Angel invested in it. And a year or two years later, we invested from one of our funds. And a few years ago, he made it happen. A thousand seventeen miles on one charge. It's uh, pure hydrogen, compressed hydrogen. So Hyperion Motors, actually, if you know Supercar Blondie, who reviews a lot of cars, and, and there's a big awards show out in, I believe, in LA, that car was driven by her to the award ceremony. So we've, we've kind of seen it truly from seed, you know, to actually a product. And now there's a lot of great excitement around it. Not only is hydrogen energy just a really a next level of kind of the electrical car economy, but there's a lot of excitement on the technology and on the ways to apply it for, for trucking commercial and all these kind of different aspects. That's one. And then two, you know, going into healthcare as a friend of mine too, one of the co-founders is MedZoomer. So, so based out of Tampa, Florida, it's essentially an Uber-esque model for pharmaceutical prescription drugs. And so the, one of the co-founders was an athlete, had back surgery, didn't have anyone around him at the time, so had to Uber it to the pharmacy and wait in line for his pain medication. And so now he he has created a company that would serve him and so many people who don't have access to prescription, you know, medications that they need because of logistics, because of, you know, access, all these things. They're getting a lot of traction. But what excites me and and you know, creating uh, co-founding offer health, looking at MedZoomer, looking at all these things is one thing I've realized is so many people do not have access to things that I take for granted. And so when we're talking about prescription medications, we're talking about internet, electricity, safe environment, clean water. We've heard these, but truly here in the United States, there are so many people who don't have access to things that I take for granted. If you can help solve that problem, and that doesn't mean you just build a technology platform and you want people to jump on it because some people don't have access to electricity or Wi-Fi to get on your platform, then I get excited. That's awesome. That's really cool. And and obviously, again, the motivation is so clear in your voice. And so I'm curious, you know, we've, we've had some other 
people on the podcast who are med students slash physicians turned VC as well as entrepreneur. A couple of examples, Morgan Sheetham, who you may know, he's a fellow med student, a friend of mine who's at Bessemer and uh, another good friend from Hopkins, Robert Lord is doing his, I think he's now transitioned to his second year of emergency medicine residency at Hopkins, but works out of Lionbird VC. What are some of the commonalities that make you a good physician and a good VC or investor and entrepreneur? Any any commonalities, but then also some differences, one of which I'll, I'll share is uh, generally risk aversion, right? Like generally the culture of medicine is one of being risk averse. A lot of people go into medicine because it's recession proof and it's a great career, risk aversion. And so to take time to build a company while being a med student or physician is a very risky proposition generally. So that's typically where that tends to break, uh, I find. But yeah, what are some similarities and differences in your opinion between these different hats? Yeah. So number one, the risk aversion gene I never got because I, I do not act like I would say what, what you described as traditional physicians with the risk averse and going down this pathway. And I think the the field further makes you risk averse because you see all these things and you become an expert and then you realize, hey, if I go in this world, I'm not even close to an expert. So should I even start? Should I even try? I mean, that's one of the biggest things is to unlearn the expectation of being an expert somewhere because medicine is one of the few fields where you're, you have to be an expert, but most of the world is not like that. And I think that's a truth that many don't know. And I love to tell people about, I don't know. I, I didn't have much to unlearn because I, again, I don't think I had that gene, which is interesting in reflection. Number two, I think there's an ethical component. I always like to talk about, you know, you train so hard and it's really about the people in front of you. And in almost to a fault, the, you know, the business of medicine, you talk about building all these things later, but in the end, it's like, there's a sick patient that shows up in front of me, boom, boom, boom. So taking care of people. And I think that ethical foundation is really healthy to bring into an investment industry and an industry where you're dealing with a lot of people and, and people could use that reminder of, let's just make sure we're taking care of people. And then I think, you know, healthcare is, and I've realized this, it took me a little while, how much of an opportunity there is to do way better. Preventative treatment, you name it, access. And I think there's, physicians see that. I think a lot of med students, physicians, people in the space, they're in the hospitals, they're like, why? You know, if you just put a little bit of curiosity in your brain, you start asking, why do we do this? Why? And then you look at the antiquated culture. I mean, there are so many things and I'm, I'm a pretty optimistic person, but healthcare is really behind the times in so many ways. And I think there's just, you have a, a group of ambitious, intelligent people in the, let's say the medical field who are now looking with that curiosity, hopefully feeling a little bit empowered and taking that curiosity and saying, let's move forward on some ideas. That's what I think we're seeing. I see a lot more people reaching out with their ideas and you know, and just being out there. And, I, and I'm really proud because I think more physicians and leadership positions, more physicians starting, co-founding, being parts of different industries is something I really, really think can benefit people. Because it's it's very rare to have, you know, this, you know, who how many how many fields take the Hippocratic oath? First do no harm. And I bring that up in a lot. If you start out every conversation and every decision with first do no harm, I think we'd be a lot better off. I don't think that even enters people's mind. And and so anyways, you know, I obviously feel very proud to be a physician and proud to see so many others contribute in various ways. Yeah. 
Wow, incredible. Really good notes there. So one thing I wanted to cover too is your book, Physician Underdog, as well as your newsletter called Underdog for Good. Can you tell us a bit about why you chose the term underdog and what some of the core lessons are from like you, you know, we'll definitely drop the show notes so people can get your book and subscribe to the newsletter, but tell us more about the origin of that and what you're trying to accomplish with both. Yeah, thank you. It's really, really become important to me. And the underdog story, which is, you know, someone who's bet against, someone who's expected to lose. So so the reason I named my book Physician Underdog is because, you know, as I told you, you know, growing up, wanted to be a doctor. It wasn't easy, became one. And then suddenly, after a couple of years of being an anesthesiologist, I was getting bored. And, you know, that's why I think another reason I went towards entrepreneurship, I was getting bored. And I was like, I am, I did everything I was supposed to. It was so hard to get through this training. And here I am. And I was lacking some fulfillment. I was getting bored. I was making the money that I wanted to. I was doing really well, but that just didn't seem enough. Then I was starting to talk to other people who were getting a little bit bored. They seemed disappointed. I mean, healthcare, I was telling you about the antiquated culture. So believe it or not, this is a short description. I was disappointed. I said, why do I feel like an underdog? I'm not making, not my voice is not really being heard. I've, I should be able to pick my day and something to create fulfillment, but I'm not getting it. So what did I do wrong? And so I felt like, like an underdog and I felt it was important for non-physicians or people who don't know the field very well to know that a lot of physicians feel like underdogs, but they're supposedly at the top of a ladder of some sort, an academic ladder, an expertise ladder. And and it just it just helps bring up the fact that we should be able to empathize with each other, no matter what, let's call it level, skill set, education, where you are in life, wealth, you name it, everyone is undergoing their own adversity of feeling like an underdog. So I love using the word underdog because my goal is for us to be able to bring up our true vulnerabilities and adversities in a very safe way. And so when I talk about underdogs, I think every single person is an underdog. And so someone might say, well, that celebrity isn't. Well, there's a really good chance they are. And more and more people are talking about their mental health and their issues, which is great. But I think we should continue doing that. We should teach our kids to talk about our vulnerabilities, not as a weakness, but really as a strength, and then talk about how we moved forward. So, hey, this happened. I started this company and it failed, but I'm here today because I learned so many lessons. So now I can talk about the failure of my company. And so the name of the book was Physician Underdog, which is the story that I wrote, which is still continuing to be written. And the, the newsletter is called Underdog for Good with the same philosophy of saying, number one, I'm an underdog for good, like forever. And number two, the adversity that I underwent and am undergoing currently still has many learnings and silver linings that are positive. It's, it's good. This is not bad that I got beaten up, you know, in my startup last month. It's, it feels it hurts still. But there's going to be a point where I can tell everybody about it and tell you that I'm here, I'm rising taller, and I've learned a lot. So, so that's that's my newsletter. It's it's on LinkedIn, and you know, on I have a subscription, etc. And I have a, actually a show coming out with Underdog for Good that's going to be you know interviewing various people to bring out the adversity. So I really want to push the 
push the pedal on underdogs and I want everyone to be able to bring their adversity and vulnerabilities to the table. And, and I think that really brings us to more connections and also takes away these high stages that just seem so far away for many of us who think someone who's in this limelight is, is not like us. It's in fact the opposite, you know? So can you tell I can talk about this forever? <laughs> well, we'll definitely recommend it. And I, I love the term underdog, especially because, you know, and what you said really resonated about taking your vulnerabilities, your weaknesses, and turning those into sources of strength and connection. I had a great interview with Charles Lockwood, the Dean of University of South Florida School of Medicine, who also is a big fan of stoicism, as I'm sure you and many of our other guests are. And I think there's a big difference between being an underdog or having the underdog mentality, and then obviously something that's become a little more popular in recent years is the victim mentality. And there's, a, you know, where you use vulnerability or weakness as a, a crutch for not achieving what you need to achieve or could could be potentially able to achieve the victim mentality versus the underdog mentality where you and everyone yeah. else around you can get get behind that. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, you know, one thing that's very clear from the work you've done, your career trajectory is that you like to help, you know, even being on this podcast is you like to help other physicians or med students, or people on this path, get other non-clinical side gigs, go through courses, credentials. Talk to us a bit about that. Like, you know, we started off with your mentor getting you to anesthesiology. You know, what are some of the things you're doing to help mentor other physicians or students and get them involved in non-clinical opportunities too? Yeah. So one of the biggest questions I get is number one, how the heck did you end up in VC? Like you're an anesthesiologist. So tell me your story. So I wrote the book on, on, because I was describing the story so much and the, the book has the whole kind of story, but then it's like, well, I don't know. I don't necessarily have something for you. I can tell you the story. What do I do? So two years ago, I, I co-founded a company called Beyond Physician, which is essentially a learning management system has third party credentials in an active marketplace. And so Let's say I'm a physician. I love my job, but I would love to do some different things. How do I learn the skills to do this? And let's say I want to consult for industry. I want to consult for pharma because I get calls all the time. But they said I should have some experience. So how do I learn how to consult? Okay. So imagine now you go to Beyond Physician. You grab a couple of courses that say, hey, this is how you consult for industry for this specific industry. You do that. You get credentials. So now, hey, I know some knowledge of how to consult. And then you apply in the marketplace for saying, I am, I'm available. I'm this rheumatologist in this state and I'm open for gigs. And, you know, f there's plenty of pharma that, and, and I would say industry in general, would love to plug in the brains of many physicians to get input, to get perspective, you know, thoughts, all these things, which again, for me is empowering more physicians. And, and those folks can get a gig. And now what you've started is a whole trajectory of, we, you know, our taglines learn, earn, and grow. And so now what you're doing is you're, you're fulfilling. It's your own personal development journey. And that's what I like to give to people. It's what I talk to my kids about. Just, just get on this journey to learn and just be a sponge and be curious. You'll be fulfilled. You'll learn a ton. And who knows at the end of this journey, you might be in a completely new career, or you just might be in 10 different things that are perfect for all, you know, sources of, of inspiration and motivation that you have. So that's, so that's what I like. So I'm, I'm basically building things or involved in things where people are seeking help and I can't help them now. Then I say, what, what can be done here? And I feel like that's, those are the steps I've been taking slowly. Yeah. 
Beyond Physician, I love the title and certainly something we will also send our audience to check out. I want to be respectful of your time, so I only had two other questions. The first, you've sort of covered in and out without even me asking, but just generally, what advice would you give to our audience, mostly early stage healthcare professionals, about approaching their careers in healthcare, entrepreneurship, and, and beyond? I would say there is a lot of opportunity in healthcare to really impact with your experience in your mind. And so for those who are on early in their journey, you're going to hit a lot of obstacles. You're going to have a lot of people say you can't do it or maybe you shouldn't or it's very complex. One thing I've, you know, with my first venture offer health, it was starting on the outside and influencing the healthcare system. And sometimes you need to go outside to influence the in. Don't always think about building or going along your journey within this healthcare system. So that's that's one thing. And then number 2, I there are more people that struggle in their entrepreneurial journey than I ever imagined. And I'm privy to a lot of private circles and conversations in my own portfolio companies and in my own founder experiences. When we see someone who just exited a company, got acquired, raised a bunch of capital and around, there are so many things that happened up till then. Lights were about to get shut out. They couldn't do payroll. And and even for Offer Health, I will openly admit there was three or four times in the first couple of years we came together and we said, should we continue? Should we close down? It's so slow right now. So just remember, it is absolutely not a straight line for anyone. And if that's the case, you either don't know the full picture, they don't, they don't feel comfortable talking about it, or they truly are one in a billion. And And so why do we need to pay attention to that? Wow. I love both those pieces of advice, having left med school to help improve medical education and I've come back. And the second is, yeah, I mean, absolutely. A lot of what you see on LinkedIn or Instagram or choose whatever social platform you have are the people's highlight reels when you don't even see their blooper reels. And there's a lot more bloopers than there are highlights, I think. So, Oh, gosh. Because we're all learning. <laughs> yes, Exactly. My last question for you, we've obviously had a far-reaching, wide-ranging conversation. Anything else you want to share with our audience before we let you go? I I have been focusing a lot lately on my own and other people's mental health. And lately, I've been thinking about just health in general. And something that we all focus on a lot of times, physical health, we go to the gym, fitness, etc. Because we can see it, we can feel it. I feel like the mental health aspect is really the core of health. And so lately I've been thinking, this might be very obvious shift, so I apologize if it's you know too elementary, but by focusing on our mind and our mental health, that is the core that gives us the opportunity to be even healthy physically. And so that might be very common sense, but it really just clicked for me. And so by working on our mind, strength, even learning, anticipation of change, these things, other things fall in place. I just feel like a lot of us have been going backwards where we start on the, the end of it, the physical aspect, and we don't take care of our mind. And so I just wanted to leave that with you to actually, if you focus on your mind every day, little tidbits, and this is what I write about, this is what I post about daily, other things have a better chance to fall in place. And I'm not saying focus on your mind and sit on the couch and eat chips all day. But don't ignore your mind because that's where it all starts. And that's where we can learn, be fulfilled and be productive. And I think we're all wanting that. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very important theme that we've tried covering. We just had Dr. Josh Gordon, the head of the NIMH on the podcast as well to talk about mental health. 
Oh yeah, I saw that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And so big passion of mine too. And I think our audience would do well listening to you on everything you've said here, but in particular that that point. So again, want to be respectful of your, your time. So I wanted to take the time to thank you for joining us on the Raise Line podcast, but more importantly, the work that you've done both individually to help so many patients as an anesthesiologist, but then also to help so many entrepreneurs, especially those in healthcare, do good by being uh, underdogs as well. So thanks, Naveen. Thank you for having me. And thanks for what you're doing. Appreciate it. Totally. Thank you. And with that, I'm Shiv Gwani. To our audience, thank you for checking out today's show. Remember to do your part to raise the line and strengthen our healthcare system. We're all in this together. Take care. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our episodes at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.